acquisition, activation, retention, referral, and the best for last, revenue. That's how I look at my funnel. Welcome to a new episode of Hype Fury Presents. In season two, I interview new guests with the same vibe and the same goal to make you a better creator. Today, I talk to Pauline Riviere. Pauline is a growth marketer at a scale up in London. Her first ghostwriting clients came to her when she barely had a thousand followers on Twitter. In this episode, you'll learn how to get noticed by potential ghostwriting clients and how to have an edge on threads even when they vastly outperform yours in terms of impressions and engagement. My name is Unique, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, Pauline, great to see you. And for other people who are on the podcast, great to hear you. For people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Yannick, thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Pauline, and I'm a Twitter ghostwriter. As you can hear, I come from France, but I'm currently based in London. And I've been doing the Twitter thing for almost two years now, although I think I created my account in 2009. So that was a while back already. Mm, nice. And so let's go back a little bit. Uh, you were born in France. You, you moved to London. Was that during like education or how did that happen? Okay. So I studied in France. Very typical background as a marketeer in France. I studied in business school. I graduated with an MSc in management and I specialized in digital marketing, obviously. From there, I did a couple of internships in digital marketing, thought it was pretty cool, started to move around Europe. I lived in Sweden. I lived in Belgium for a couple of years, worked for scale-ups, startups, corporates, and then I decided to settle in London for work. And now I currently work as a scale-up and I'm particularly specialized in growth marketing now. Mm, nice. We're actually looking for a, a growth marketer right now for Hype Fury. What does a good growth marketer do? Everything, basically. I think I like to say a good growth marketer has the numbers in the head and the words at their heart. And you have to combine managing your metrics, tracking everything and making sure that you find the right messaging. So. I think they are usually very good generalists, but that's why I like it because it's never boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so can you tell a little bit more like specifically maybe about the scale up you're at right now, how your day-to-day -day looks like and how you roll into that job? Yeah. So it's a fintech company and uh, my particular focus is on the metric of activation. And it's quite exciting because I'm part of a product team actually, so a product growth team where I'm the only marketer and I'm working along analysts, developers, designers to make sure that the right message is conveyed during the onboarding to make sure people use the product. And um, yeah, I've been doing this for a while. Before that, I was working for a travel company, but more in the acquisition space. And there it was more around the channel mix, making sure we reach the people in a way that is ROI positive, this kind of thing. So yeah, I've done various things in this space. Mm. And for people who want to join a scale-up like you're in right now, how would you propose you reach out? What are things they, they, they look at? How do you get in? I think a good way to get started when you start from scratch is to do little projects on your own. I think when I landed my first growth marketing job, it was because I had a blog and I had installed Google Analytics on my own and I could explain during my interview, oh, look at those numbers, etc. So I think it really makes a difference to 
learn some things on your own. I think I've spent too much time on the internet since I was a teenager and that's how it all got started. But yeah, I think there is always something for you, even if you don't have a marketing degree, I would say. So it's a very exciting space if you want to get started. Definitely. Yeah. I, I like my career started at a, at a big corporate bank and I hated it. I had like a fixed term contract, one and a half years, and I didn't even finish it. So I had to pay like a fine and all that good stuff. But after that, I started a digital agency. And that's where I also learned like doing side projects. Everybody was doing side projects. And I started side projects. And this was 12 years ago. And still some of those initial projects still running. They're still generating passive income for me. So that's, that's fun. And it's a great way to, yeah tinker with all the tools you have these days and it's a great way to show businesses that you, you want to dig in you're you're a self-starter and definitely for a growth marketer that's that's yeah, great they say it's the new cv now actually you don't really need a cv you need a good twitter account and a few side projects that are working well yeah, that's the only the only way i hire people right now is just ask on twitter yeah very cool okay and so you're in a scale up you're already like surrounded by a team so uh, you work on the product with the developers as well. And uh, let's say you would work on something you could literally change yourself. So it could be like a WordPress blog. Imagine, I don't know, you're a ghostwriter and you want to get more clients. How would you improve your website to get more? Huh, really interesting. I think that's the good part about my job. I can just apply everything I do on my day job to the ghostwriter funnel. So I would use the pirate metrics. That's the favorite metrics of all the growth marketeers. So acquisition, activation, retention, referral, and the best for last revenue. That's how I look at my funnel. When I do acquisition to find new clients for my ghostwriting business. And right now I'm focusing on the top of the funnel, which means spending time finding people, understanding what their problems are and how I can help solve it. So I would say most of the time it's just having conversations, getting out there, speaking to people and being able to solve that problem once. And then once you've managed from there, you just duplicate that 100 times and that's it. Build once, sell twice. And so did you start your go because I asked this question because I know you're a ghostwriter, of course, but did you start your ghostwriting business when you started at the scale up or was it before? When did you think, hey, I can do this, I want to do this? So I think that's quite funny and I think it's the case of many people, but it started during lockdown when we all got a bit bored, I guess. And uh, I was working in a startup at this point, so I was not in this company yet. And um, I decided to join Ship30. And that's where, if people don't know what Ship30 is. I think we were in the same cohort, maybe even. Ah, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's where I know you from, actually. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Funny. So, yeah, if, if people don't know what Ship30 is, it's a writing challenge where you have to publish every day for 30 days on Twitter. Did you make it? I did, actually. I didn't. I failed. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I was very proud, actually. I tried again and then I didn't make it. But yeah, that first time I did. And um, I just wanted to get to writing every day and just publishing on Twitter was just a byproduct of that. I was like, okay, that's the rule of the challenge, so I'm going to do it. But then what happened is that, as you've probably witnessed yourself, you start to make friends, you start to have conversations, 
And then because I was being very diligent with it and publishing every day, I started having people in my DMs asking me to be a copywriter or a ghostwriter for them. And that's how the business started. It was not even my idea, basically. Yeah, that's nice. The clients just uh, came at your door. Mm. And how did you, like, you know, people came at you, you had no idea you wanted to do this, but you thought, hey, this is interesting. How did you come at, like, packaging your product, pricing it? How did you do that? Yeah, so at the beginning, it was really simple, just writing Twitter threads for people who wanted it. I didn't think much of it, but as you said, quite quickly, I realized if I want to sell it to more people, I need to package it. And I need to answer to more problems than just, you don't have time to write a Twitter thread, so I'm going to write one for you. So I decided to tackle the three main pain points. So the first one, obviously, I either don't know how to write or I don't know how to write on Twitter. Then the second one is, I'm not growing. I don't understand why, but that's because I'm not talking to anyone on Twitter. And then the third one is either I don't have the motivation to be consistent or I don't know how to read analytics. And so here I help almost as a coach to help them grow on the long run. So basically, these are the three pillars of my offering right now, ghostwriting, coaching and engagement strategy. Interesting. And, and do you remember how many followers you had when you had your, like your first customer roll in? I think I had just passed the 1K mark. Yeah, that's interesting eh? because I get a lot of DMs. I also get DMs from people with 53 followers saying, hey, <laughs> I can do ghostwriting for you. Are you interested? I'm like, mm, let me think about it. No. But the other side, what you just mentioned is people come at you, even if you have only, I say only, like you're already in like the, the top two, three, four percent, I think of. Twitter come to you when you only have a thousand followers. So how is that for you? Because I can also think that people are like, well, she only has a thousand followers. Why would she be able to help me? Yeah, I think, so as you said, the follower count is a good marker of whether or not you're trustworthy. But I think beyond that, what you write and what you tweet is your portfolio. And because I was writing very consistently about random but interesting things, during Ship30, I think people saw that, oh, I have an interesting way of phrasing my ideas. And that's why they reached out to me in the first place, I think, because of what I was writing. So it was more the quality of what I was producing rather than just thinking, oh, she has one case, she must know what she's talking about. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Then now, at the first was like, you're a good writer. I want to use you to write for me. But now you've also, you know, the, the other two pillars, the coaching and the engagement strategy. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. I think as I got to talking to more clients, I realized, as I said, it's not just about writing. And people get very frustrated about their Twitter growth when it's not happening. And they think it's because they're not writing great threads. Some people are going to tell you that that's why, and that's, that's the only way that you can grow. But actually, it's because they're not using Twitter as it's intended. So social media putting the social back in social media. So I think that's where engagement comes and is very important. Some people tell me, yes, I know I should do it, but I don't know how to. And some people just discovered that they should do it because they had no idea that this is how you make friends with the algorithm in a way. So there I can help them either identify who their 
target persona is, who they want to be talking to, because sometimes they have a business objective, they want to generate leads. So who should they go after? Basically, I help them identify their targets. And then what I do is I come up with a plan for them to engage. So either I do it for them when they are really busy, but I think it's less genuine than just letting them do the work. So sometimes we create Twitter lists with people that are recommended they should engage with. And from there, usually they see good progress. So that's the engagement side. And then on the coaching front, it's more about pushing them to the consistency, making them look at the numbers and trying to encourage them to double down on what is working. Because sometimes people just shout out in the void one thousand ideas and then they don't look back and they are wondering why they are not improving and i think it's a bit like growth marketing in a way everything is uh funded and based on data so i think i also stole that approach and i'm trying to teach that to everyone that i'm coaching sounds good and so let's zoom in a little bit on how you how you create threads uh, like run us through the entire process of thread creation and then maybe even posting and engaging and so Let's say I'm writing a thread for someone else. First, we have few chats. I get to know what they're about. I get to know what they do. If they have published before on Twitter, I make sure that I've read what they've done before and that I'm quite familiar with their tone of voice as well, which can be quite different from people to people. And then we settle on an idea together. I go away. I come up with two things. The hook, very important, obviously. And then the shape of the thread and the ideas that I think are worth discussing in the thread. Then I come back to the person, they tell me, yeah, I want to discuss that. And then I go away and I write it with my personal kind of rules. So I make sure it's skimmable. I make sure that the personality of the person is shining through the thread in some way, that we are sharing things from their experience, but also something that is relatable to the reader. And yeah, from there, I think it's a pretty good basis. And then usually we just discuss the nitty gritty, but most of the time in, I don't know, a few hours, the thread is ready to go on their account. Nice, nice. And then why do you also take the personal approach? Because some people just, you know, put a knowledge base there. They just create a thread full of knowledge and nothing personal, but you take a different approach. Yes. I don't know about you, but I have this feeling lately, I feel like, Content on Twitter has been devoided, deprived of the people writing it. And I don't know if it's because it's an AI that's writing it or if it's because it's ghostwriters. I don't know. But I feel like when I want to follow someone and follow them in the long run on their adventure, it's also I want to know them and it's because I like their personality. So when I'm writing for my clients, I try and make sure that this is what's going to happen to them. So. I always say if they wanted just the knowledge, they would go and read Wikipedia. So that's always the approach that I'm taking when I'm writing a thread. I want you to want to be friends with me when I'm writing it, basically. Oh, that's a really good one. Yeah, I can, the point against that would be, yeah, but those threads with just knowledge that could have been written by ChatGPT is amazing. Like they get a lot of reach, but the personalities, maybe you might get less followers, but they might be, more into you as a person, might engage with you more in the long run. I was going to say that, actually. I think 
you have also various styles of ghostwriting out there. And some people are going to write for the number and for reach. And I don't think I'm one of those. I think I'm one for quality over quantity. And I'm always, always going to strive for your account to grow, but in the right way and with the right people. So, for example, if you want to generate leads, I don't want 20 year old girls to follow you when you're doing, I don't know, something for retired people or this kind of thing. So, yeah, I think there are many ways to do ghostwriting. Probably ChatGPT is a very good way to do it at the minute, but I don't think that's ever going to be my approach, which is quite reassuring because I'm not one of those people saying, oh, this tool is going to replace my job because that's not exactly what I do. That's a good point. And so for people who wanted to go into ghostwriting, people they're popping up left and right. So it's a very popular niche. But I also think that just because you write a few tweets that do well, it doesn't make you a ghostwriter. I'm saying with like, you might have done one ship 30 for 30 cohort, but does it make you a good writer? Can you maybe give us a little bit more of your background? Did you do other things with writing before this? Because people think they can just do one course and then... Yes, that, that's very true. I think I cheated in a way because this is not all there is to it. So of course, I have my master's in marketing and digital marketing, which I think lays quite strong foundations first around how to grow an audience and reach out to relevant people on the internet. But then I also... One of my personal interests is writing anyway. And I followed a few fiction classes at university as evening courses. And that has also taught me the power of storytelling. And so I think these two combined, plus my using of growth marketing framework applied to Twitter, made for a quite interesting recipe. So I think if you want to get started, probably at least look into one of these, either be really good at writing, be a very compelling storyteller and or no marketing and psychology because you're talking to people and you have to somehow sell to them this content. Makes sense. And so if we fast forward a couple of years, what are you doing? Ooh, that's a very good question. I think there are many parallel universes here and I'm not sure what could happen but I really like my job right now so I think being a growth marketer is still pretty much an option and still uh, doing Twitter ghostwriting on the side but also I would love to grow my Twitter ghostwriting business and I'm thinking in a few years it might turn into an agency right now it's a one-woman job but I would love to scale the way that I help people, but also to scale my vision of ghostwriting and be able to help more people. And I said it's a one-woman job, and I think actually I don't see a lot of uh, ghostwriters that are women, and I don't know why that is. And in general, I also don't see a lot of women in general on money Twitter. So I think I would still love to advocate for that. Hmm. And how can you get more women on board? I think I have to show them that they don't need to have this masculine energy and be all about growth, copywriting, revenue to make Getting it. Getting up early, drinking water, cold showers. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's very tempting. 
And especially coming from a business and startup background, that's all I knew. So I think for me, it was quite natural, but that's not the only way to get there. I think actually there is an upcoming generation in the past month on Twitter with women talking more about their intuition, work-life balance, how you grow a business and the family. And I think they can definitely make it as big as the thread boys and the Twitter bros, as we like to call them. So. Yeah, I think we should democratize that a little bit. That would be nice also to have more diversity on there. Definitely. I know, like we, we just started a cohort. We have 58 people in there and we're two are female. And so, yeah, that's like, that is, of course, forgot the word, but yeah, it's probably, I also have more male followers than female. Probably we have a bit more a masculine brand than others, but still only Two women out of 58 is like, that's incredible. It's very difficult because I think at the beginning you think, as a woman, you might think, oh, it's not for me. And then you dig a little bit and then you think, oh, I can tweak it to make it mine, actually. But I think also Twitter is all about talking about what you know and what you do. And sometimes the imposter syndrome is creeping up a bit more easily on women. And I think that's why sometimes they are a bit more shy to get started. But that's why I'm excited every time I have a woman come to me and say that they want to be coached for this because then I can make sure that they forget all about that and start posting and then and in the end they all enjoy it. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is real. I just I shared a tweet a couple of days ago where I showed I have 195 drafts in my high fury uh, draft. But yeah, it's something everybody struggles with. But I think also like beginning creators when you have 23 followers like not a lot of people will see a tweet. So you can just tweet in the void anyway and it'll become better. You can engage with others and then those replies can become tweets on its own. And it's just, it's a game of like, yeah, you have to put in the reps to become better. Yeah. And actually, as you said, nobody's going to see it. And that's the best part about it, I think. Yeah, you're still tweeting, you're publishing things, but yeah, you know, you can also, you can always delete something, so... Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, I don't know about you, but I feel that even now, it's not that the imposter syndrome is gone, it's just I've learned to forget about it. But it's still there, so it's not like it's going to get cured overnight. You just manage to forget about it. Uh, I still have it too, so it's, yeah, you have to deal with it and just keep going. Yeah, exactly. Any other pointers how we can get more women on on twitter to share things to share things about their life and their job or their business i think something i became quite conscious of at the end of last year was that myself i was not following a lot of women on twitter and i think i don't know if it's the algorithm that's uh, making us do this or is because we are genuinely less in numbers but i think we should be more proactive and intentional in who we follow and who we support. So when I did realize that I posted a thread of amazing female creators that I thought should have their voice heard, and I think we should do more of this. And I think that's kind of one of my new year resolution to make sure I share more of those female voices on Twitter and support them and yeah, make sure that they get seen, even if the algorithm is not that friendly with them yet. Yeah, I think that'll definitely help. And then my girlfriend, she's a lurker. She's not on Twitter, but she's on Instagram a lot. She hardly ever likes anything, especially not from like brands or influencers or 
That's so she just likes to see their stories. On friends' pages, she might like a, a thing or two, but generally she doesn't do anything. She just watches. And yeah, I think that's a broader thing. Like, I think there are 55% men on Twitter, 45% female. But of that lower percentage, an even lower amount of women engage on, on Twitter. They're more like looking and, and consuming rather than sharing. And especially on money Twitter and entrepreneurship Twitter and building public, I think it's a very male-dominated space unless the women have a very strong credential, like they are VCs or they've built something big. So sometimes one of my advice is build something as well because you won't have this imposter syndrome of what am I talking about? Because you're just building something and you're just documenting it and it's taking the pressure off of it. Because I think a lot of women just think they have nothing to say. Maybe, yeah, also something I tell a lot of people, men and women, is think of it as if you're doing Twitter just for yourself, for nobody else except yourself. And then you can't go wrong. You're documenting things for yourself. You don't care who likes it or who replies. People want to, you know, hop on on the, on the back of your train. They're, they're welcome, but you're doing it for you. And that's, I think, a very comfortable reason and comforting reason to just go and keep sharing. Yeah, I think before Ship30, I was just using Twitter as my public notebook. And um, I think once you get over the fact that your tweet is going to get zero like, then you can just go away and do your thing. And I think it's quite interesting because then you're not tempted to just do more of what is working. You're just telling you your own story, sharing your own journey. And then when it picks up, then it's something radically different. And I think we should have more of that. So yeah, that's a good tip, actually. Yeah, And also like... People think the like is the reward, but hitting the publish button is the reward. That's the moment you've learned, you've created something new, and then whatever else comes is extra. So, yeah. That's very easy to say, but I still get a little dopamine hit every time I have many likes. I don't think this one goes away either. Yeah, that's definitely true. Can't say no to that. I want to jump back a little bit to to the growth marketing thing because we're hiring one. If you had to hire a senior growth marketer, what would you look at? How would you, I don't know, do the application, do the, the test or something? What would you do to hire a copy of you? Oh, wow. Quite interesting. I think I would look at three things. First, I would look at how good they are at psychology and everything having to do with the behavior of the user, because I think it's really key especially if you want a growth marketer that is going to look at the steps after sign up. So I think either they have maybe a psychology background or sometimes when people study UX design, they also have this in their studies. So I think someone knowledgeable around these topics is very relevant. Then I would look at data literacy. I think you have to be very good with data. So probably they know how to use a data visualization tool bonus points if they know SQL, bonus points if they are just comfortable with math and statistics in general, because they might have to run A-B tests. And then do you know what is the difference between frequentist and Bayesian? This kind of thing. I think hopefully, I don't know 
how it works in hyperfury. I don't know if you have an analyst, but if you don't have an analyst, it's quite convenient to know how to do these things yourself. And then overall, I would say you just need to spot the opportunity. And for that, you need to be a very good generalist and have a good knowledge of all the channels before sign up and after sign up. Because sometimes you will have an amazing opportunity like, okay, let's launch an affiliation program. But then once that's over, maybe you have to look at, okay, how do I convert those people and make sure that they stay with us for long enough? And then that's a totally different set of skills. So I think if it's your first hire, that's why I would lean towards a generalist because you have to test all the channels. And then once you find a couple that work, then maybe you can hire specialists to run them. I think that's my approach when I scale a team of growth marketers from zero. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. And let's say you join the team. What does your day one look like at Hype Fury? Ooh, looking at the numbers, probably for a good while, not only for a day, probably for a few weeks, trying to understand how your funnel works, where people are dropping, who is not posting tweets, how they're engaging with your content, are they opening your emails, this kind of thing. So all about the data. And then probably user interviews, just trying to chat to some of them and try to understand why they're behaving in such a way. And then also talking to the founder, very important to have a clear idea of the mission and vision from the horse's mouth. Some CEOs or founders don't have an idea of what that is, but I think it's very helpful if you want to grow a brand in a way to hear about it. So yeah, maybe sometimes when founders don't have it, you can help build it together with the founder. But I think it's quite important, especially at the beginning. Mm, good point. Wow. I have a few um, chats lined up with some people from Twitter and a couple of people I that didn't respond to my tweet, but I know they do something similar. So I reached out to them. So yeah, I'm looking forward and I'll, and I'll take along this tweet. Yeah, so... On, on one side, like there's always interesting people who respond to my tweets. Like last time, this was a couple of weeks ago, I asked for a junior content creator. And it was this guy, I think he's 35, 40. I don't know his exact age, but he has like, he has 220,000 followers. He has like 10 times my following. <laughs> I have to laugh about that. But something triggered him. And we, you know, spoke three times before I hired him. I asked him to do some sort of test. He he quickly did it, like within the hour, he already sent it back to me. Then I think I messaged him like, hey, this is okay, but I would like to see this and this and that. So we got a, another call. Then an hour later, he did it again, was much better. And then I just, I did the same thing, getting better. I would maybe this and this and that. And then he did it for a third time. And then I was sold because one, he's a quick learner. Two, he's a quick turnover. And, you know, he was just, he was open to learn. He was a, a great guy also to talk to. And then I was like, well, it's a no-brainer for me to hire him. Even though the work he needed to do, I, I wouldn't have, you know, expected him to do it. But he really enjoyed it. And, yeah, I hired him. So Wow, that's really good. I think actually you're right. This skill is quite important. I don't know if it's called a skill, but just being relentless and not being afraid to do the work over and over again, especially when you're doing something for the first time. Yeah, because I imagine 
it's going to be about building the growth marketing function in Hype Fury. So it's a lot of new things. And I think you have to not shy away from trying to set something up, having it fail, doing it again, having it fail, and improving over time. So yeah, I think you're right. This is the kind of personalities that you want to hire at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And we're now like a team of 20. So even though I wanted to hire like a junior, he's actually more like a senior. So hopefully he can do other things as well, maybe in the future. Do you hire everyone only from their Twitter account? So far, yes. But the Twitter account can be two followers to 220,000 followers. That doesn't really matter. It matters more to me like how they DM me. So I get a lot of DMs like, hey, I want to work for you. And then nothing. And so that doesn't work. I also see the other side that like I pose a very broad question on Twitter. And I can also think that a lot of people say, why should I reply to this guy? I don't know what I'll be earning, what the hours are, what the expectations are. But that's also for me the fun part. I'm fine with them not replying. But I want to get the people that think, wow, this is great. I know the business. I know Twitter. I want to work for him. And they just shoot their shit, as they call it. And yeah, I've, I've hired some great people just by, you know, some people send me a video saying, hey, I'm super excited to work with you. And yeah, in the end, it only took like five minutes, no CV, no checking just. And then I usually hop on a call with like about five people for one job. I talk to them all. I give them like a small test, not something you have to spend hours on, but like one hour is more than enough. So I have a little bit of a feel of like how they would work, how their mind works. And then, yeah, I ask them what they want to earn. And usually I match that. And then, yeah, we go. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good process. I'm very impressed at how many people come at you saying they want to work for you. But at the same time, I totally get it because now the brand is getting really big and people are just excited to work for the brand and for you. And I think that's also one of the perks of growing your Twitter account and your brand. So yeah, now you get to be picky and you get to have people come at you. So that's the best. Yeah, exactly. And to end on that note, Pauline, if you wanted to start your Twitter account again, or do you have any advice for like newbies on Twitter? What would you do and what wouldn't you do? I think I would recommend to do three things. First, post something that is yours and different. It doesn't have to be a super complex thread, but just talk about what you know, talk about your life, what you're learning, something that's yours, something that's in your voice. And then the second one would be make friends. And I think actually that would be the most important one until you've reached a certain threshold. I think you need to go out there and talk to people and build connections. I think I've spent so many hours in the two past years talking to people on Zoom, having fascinating conversations with people in my DMs. So I think you have to understand the best of Twitter is not seen on Twitter. And so you have to get that. And I think the third one, which is also quite important, is be patient. And when people want to add Twitter to their marketing mix, I compare it to SEO. Because I think it takes a long time to build a qualitative audience, but then you can reap the benefits of it 10x. So I think it's totally worth it. But if you want an overnight success, that's not the channel for you. So yeah, I think that would be my advice. 
Great tips, Pauline. Thank you very much. For people who don't know you, where can they find you on Twitter or anywhere else? They can find me on Twitter. I think that's the best way at Pauline Riviere, P-A-U-L-I-N-E-R-I-V-I-E-R-E. And there you will have the link to my website and everything I'm tweeting about at the minute. So yeah. Thanks, Pauline. This was great. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap. But before we end this episode, I want to make a gentleman's agreement with you. I keep sharing these amazing podcasts with you. And the only thing you need to do in return is to go to YouTube, search for Hype Fury and subscribe to our channel. And go do it right now. And I'll see you again next week.